Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for its place and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far, you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it may take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. It, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and to make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of, the, of dew? And from whom, whose womb do, comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Orion's belt, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds or cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you saying, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom? Or who gives the cockerel understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cries cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the month till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who 
let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you uh, rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animals may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at rider and horse. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It pours, it pours fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpets, it snorts, aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shouter of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night, a rocky crag as its stronghold. From there it looks for food, its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood, and where the slain are, there it is. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. What do you say to God? Uh, when he said this to us, well, I've just got a prayer that I've written. Would you bow your heads for prayer? <clears throat> Father, we may not be able to trace your hand in our suffering, but we trust your heart. Speak to us in the power of your spirit and speak to us in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Abafan is a coal mining town in, uh, 
in Wales on October the 21st, 1966. Some of you might remember this. Coal collapsed as an avalanche from tip number seven. 116 children and 28 adults were engulfed in dust and ashes. What else was it? It's the subject of an episode of the Netflix series, The Crown. Prince Philip visited the devastation before the Queen did, and the Queen asked Philip back in Buckingham Palace, how was it? Philip said, extraordinary. The grief, the anger at the government, at the coal board, but at God too. 81 children were buried today. The rage in all their faces and behind all the eyes. They didn't smash things up. They didn't fight in the streets. The Queen said, what did they do? Philip, they sang. The whole community, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever heard. What did they sing, according to the Netflix series? Well, I'll let you know at the end if you don't already know. What would get you up after such loss? What would get you to sing again? Job gets up in the end after suffering great loss without ever finding out why. He gets up, and I think, I believe, he pens a song, really. Surely I spoke of things too, that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. 42 verse 3. He is restored. Frederick Beekner said this, we must be careful with our lives for Christ's sake because it would seem that they are the only lives we are going to have in this puzzling and perilous world. And so they are very precious and what we do with them matters enormously. We've been sitting with Job for about six weeks now in order to get up again with Christ. Death in the dust then resurrection to life. Today, finally, finally, God shows up. The Lord answered Job out of a storm in chapter 38, and he says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself. Get up. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, God says to Job and you will answer me. And so we reach the climax of the book. But up there, over two weeks in the series, up there at the climax, at the peak, what will we see? What will we hear from God? What new insights are given to us about suffering? What new vision for life? Job receives an answer. Is it a good one? Will you find it satisfying? Or would you, if you had experienced suffering, if you are experiencing suffering, the way Job did then? To put it another way, if this were a movie, would you want your money back? Three questions that Irania outlined on page 10. What came out of the whirlwind? The storm. What could have come out of the whirlwind? And thirdly, why what happened is more satisfying. What came out of the whirlwind? Well, the answer is, God did. 38 verse 1, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. King James Version, out of, out of the whirlwind. And so, God is the climax of the book. That's the, he's the climax, not the answer to the puzzle of suffering. 
therefore, the conclusion of Job is relational, not, informa- not informational. Job had dared God to come uh, because he'd lost everything way back in chapters 1 and 2, and then his friends muck things up. He doesn't know why he's suffering. He sees no rhyme, no reason, no method in the madness. A bit like Abiphane. He and his friends then sit down to a table of a jigsaw puzzle of Job's life, and Job says, the pieces don't fit. In a moral universe, this shouldn't be. The friends say, yes, you just got to make them fit. And they spend 30 chapters trying to make the puzzle. You must have sinned to be in a situation like this. And Job finishes his long list of grievances with this plea, with this sort of attempt to correct God. In 31 verse 35, he says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I can hear the voice of Bruce Almighty. He says, I sign my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Let him write it down, and surely I would wear his indictment like a crown. I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on me like a crown. I can hear Lieutenant Dan, by the way, in, in Forrest Gump, when he says to God on, on that ship, it's time for a showdown in a storm. You and me, right here. Come and get me. Job's the same. I can hear President Bartlett in West Wing. You feckless thug. Not quite, not quite. See, Job, the book, validates our lived experience. You appear to get nothing from God and nothing but talk from your friends. All along, Job has wanted God to come. His friends said it wasn't possible. Elihu said, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. Half of that is true. God comes. Job doesn't find the Almighty. The Almighty finds him. Job is hoping to give God a piece of his mind. God gives him a piece of his heart. Job is hoping to pepper God with statements. God peppers Job with questions. God is the climax. And when he comes, he comes with a strong voice, like a heavenly father, out of the storm, not a counselor's voice in a safe space. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Who's speaking to me again? At first it feels like smackdown, and then you begin to see as it goes on that it's playful. God comes, secondly, with 80-plus playful questions. We'll look at the questions in a moment, but it comes down to these categories. Were you there when such and such happened? The earth was founded. Have you been to such and such a place, the storehouses of the snow, for example? Did you do this cut up path of the storm? Did you create that? Do you know how things work? Like, really? Do you know how the animals are provided for, even the ones you don't care about? They start with the bigness of creation and sovereignty, but they move towards the care of creation. Jesus said it perfectly. Consider the birds of the air. Scholars argue, and come down the middle really, is this sort of smackdown or a boost up? Is it gravitas, weight, or levitas, lightness? Is it a rebuke or enlightenment? 
Is it intimidating or intimate? In each case, I believe the latter. God is lifting Job up. He's giving Job new eyes that have been filled, the horizon filled with suffering. He's lifting his eyes above the horizon of suffering. The questions are, in part, humorous and playful. Job is being schooled in a loving way. In the end, God takes Job on a disorientating tour through his creation in order that he can stand again on a strong foundation. And it's not, I believe, these questions, they're not about the heavy control over creation, that is mere sovereignty, so much as his loving involvement in it. Consider the birds of the air, Jesus said, they neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Implication, he'll feed you too, Job. He comes, what comes out of the whirlwind? Thirdly, a simple challenge, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me, same in 40 verse 7. On your feet, young man, old man, let's talk. Second then, what could have come out of the whirlwind? Well, the truth would have been good. The truth of what happened way back in chapters 1, oh, chapters 1 and 2, oh, chapters 1 and 2. Left them out, didn't you? The all-important chapters 1 and 2. Job suffers for a specific and unusual reason. That is, it's a test of sorts to see if Job fears God for the things, the hedge. You know, to see if you're Christian only because it gives you some social capital. To see if Job fears God for the wealth, the stuff. Uh, take the hedge away, says the cynic, uh, the, divine, the uh, spiritual cynic, Satan. And he'll do what everybody does. He'll, uh, Job will curve in on self, he'll curse you and die, he'll walk away. It begs the question, of course, would your faith survive if everything were taken away? Job stays standing. Jesus said, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And that's despite the friends whom he calls worthless physicians, namely, they came to heal, they left a bloody mess. But still, an account of what actually happened in chapters 1 and 2 might have been nice. Job doesn't get it, never gets it. What else could have come out of the storm? Well, what about a set of, set of advice about patience and endurance? Uh, like in the New Testament, not something about the past, what happened then, something about the present. It's okay, God gives us tests to help you to endure. He's forming character in you. This will make you more empathetic, you know. Uh, you know it's going to make you more empathetic. You're going to be able to listen to other people when they're suffering as well. Or, you know, maybe no pain, no gain. None of that happens here. There appears no validation. Um, Job doesn't get that. There's a popular saying, to have the patience of Job, as if the book is for anyone and everyone who's had to endure. No, by the way, you don't believe in God, this book is not for you. Not your book. Your book is a Richard Dawkins book about no justice, no rhyme, no reason. That's your book. This is not your book. No, this book is about injustice, not about endurance. It's about confronting God where platitudes don't help. You don't get platitudes. What could have come out of the storm is assurance that it will all work out in the end, some help for the future. 
The hedge is coming back, baby. It's coming back. God has blessing in your future. Hashtag blessing. Chin up, better days are ahead of you. No important, you know. Always look on the bright side of life because, you know, the bright side's coming. That's not, he doesn't get that. And in fact, Job is never really sanguine about the future. Rob Forsyth helped me with this. He's not waiting for the best to come. He's waiting for God to account for himself. I do believe that Job has a resurrection hole in his heart, but without resurrection hope. In chapter 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, but it's sort of wishful, really. He doesn't know, really. Job needs the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. God could have said to Job, you know what, Job? Hang in there, buddy. Your experience is going to help millions, even today, right here in this church. James will say in his letter, he'll say, as you know, we count as blessed those who've persevered with God. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. You know the end of the story. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Could have got any of that from the storm, but he didn't. He was given something else. He was given God. And with God, a gift. The beautiful, life-giving, joyful gift of humility. I want to argue thirdly why what happened is more satisfying. And do that through the grid of 1 Peter 5 verses 6 and 7, read to us when we confessed our sins a moment ago. Thanks, Alyssa. 1 Peter 5 gives you a glimpse into Job. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Peter goes on, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So let's look at this text by going to Job's halfway response in 40 verses 1 to 5 under the heading, Humble Yourself. You see, when you hear the voice of God, humility is the right response. Job doesn't acquire knowledge. He doesn't get comforted. He gets humility. 40 verse 3 on page 9. Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy how can I reply to you? I've been talking all along, but now I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. In the end, he's not full of words, which is a welcome relief for the reader. He's giving up his demand for God to account for himself. Will uh, the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? No. See, to meet God in all his fullness is first to be speechless. Romans chapter 3. Humility is that rare gift that brings you close to God. For humility is at the heart of God. Philippians 2 verse 6, being in very nature God. Jesus' humility gave you God. Jesus, who opens up God's humble heart to us, said this, the Son of Man, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life 
as a ransom for many. Jesus chose the dust and ashes for you and me. Later, Job will say, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Something new has happened in the gospel for Job, something beautiful. C.S. Lewis said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Job sees something above him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. 38 verse 3, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. I think Job didn't look like that on the screen. I think his skin was not nearly as smooth. Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you, and you will answer me. Were you there, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Were you there in the beginning? Did you see it unfold? Do you know A to Z like I know A to Z? Or are you just doing what everybody's doing or can do, which is mind your P to Q? You don't have the whole picture, Job. Who marked off the earth's dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Did you have the blueprints to planet Earth, Job? Did you find a measuring tape large enough for planet Earth? Do you have the measuring tape to ensure the fine-tuning of the universe? Was that you? Or who laid the Earth's cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who knew that stars can sing? God was there whistling joyful tunes with his angelic beings. And we think David Attenborough is creative. It's poetry, of course. This is not science. And from verse 8, you get a bit of playful humour that the sea is a baby birthed, bursting forth from the womb, only to be wrapped up in a blanket called the clouds and placed into a cot. That's the ocean. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it, the sea, in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for the ocean. When I set its doors and bars in place like a cot. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Think that next time you go to Balmoral Beach. That's the ocean at your feet. The sea is a symbol of evil in Old Testament thinking and is now described here as a little baby before the Creator God. Have you thought about the fact that the proud waves just stop? That's what happens to the Pacific Ocean. The proud waves stop and they lap up on the shore so that your kids and grandkids can have a play date with the sea. How about the morning as a soldier destroying the darkness of evil? Have you ever given Job orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by its edges and shake out the wicked of it? 
That's the morning to the darkness of evil. What about your travels, Job? This is a well-travelled room. You've been everywhere, haven't you? What about you, Job? Made it to Lebanon? That's a decent walk. That's good. How about this? Verse 16, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have the gates, have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Tell me, Job, about your little visit to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. 11 kilometres below the surface of the ocean, was it you that made that anglerfish? Is that you? Deep down to get the lightest needed? Was it you that thought of putting its lamp in front of his forehead, coming out of his forehead? Is that you, Job? Now, that's down into the deep recesses of the ocean. What about up? Verse 18, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you know all this, have you got the whole world in your hands? And what is the way then to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Darkness and light, it appears, have a home. Who knew they had a home? They must have. Since they come out in the morning, where were they before? And, they come, and darkness comes out at night. Verse 20, can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you are already born. You've lived so many years. And we haven't even begun to talk about the weather. Not very Australian. Verse 22, Job, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble and for days of war and battle? And what is the way, Job, to the place where lightning is dispersed? Verse 24 or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth. And down in verse 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Is that you, Job? Got lightning bolts? You know, can you do this? <clears throat> Is that you? Or verse 25, Job, who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland, and to make it sprout with grass. You don't think I care, Job? You don't think I care? I care about a desert where no... I care about a desert where no one lives. I care about the grass of the field. Jesus said it, consider the lilies of the field. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... How much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So what does Job, O oh, he of little faith in this moment, or great faith, <laughs> what does he need to hear? Well, he needs to hear that the rain and the dew and the ice have parents. Verse 28, does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of the dew? Is that you? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? And by the way, Job, look up, look up, look up, look up at the stars. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loose Orion's belt? Can you bring forth 
the constellations in their season. Is that you or lead out the bear uh, uh, with its cubs? Its cubs. That set of stars, it has cubs. Do you know, verse 33, the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? We call it laws of nature, but that's just a, what is it, an 18th or a 19th century way of talking about how God does things and how he does things with order. What's going on here? The point is that there is rhyme and reason, Job. There is method in the madness. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. And yet, as the questions go on, you find out that God has not just sovereignty, but care, a special relationship with his creatures. For example, in verse 36, who gives the ibis its wisdom, said no Sydney cider ever. But who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the cockerel understanding? Verse 39, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait for thickets? They go get it, but God gives it to them. And then consider the birds of the air, verse 41, who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. Those mountain goats, very hidden, right? Every time you go to the zoo, it ain't there. It's not there. Is God there for them? I am. 39, chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? I do. <laughs> do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time when they give birth? Your heavenly Father is counting the gestation periods of the doe. And what about the wild donkey? Who let it go free? 39 verse 5. Who untied its ropes? And will the wild ox consent to serve you? Verse 9. Will it stay by your manger at night? Right? Gently. And then you rely on it for its great strength. And here's my favorite of all. The ostrich. 39 verse 13. Please, if you, if you miss this, you miss something stunning. The wings of the ostrich, they flap joyfully, although they can't compare to the wings and feathers of the stork. She ain't beautiful. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them. Or some wild animals may trample them. She treats her young harsely as though they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain because God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. She ain't beautiful and she ain't smart. And yet, when she is doing the thing God made her to do, when she spreads out her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. She leaves them in the dust. Amen. And the horse, 39 verse 19, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the stored. And it ends with Jesus' reflection. Consider the birds in verse 26. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command? What's the answer? No, it doesn't. Humble yourselves 
under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. What's happening here? God lifts Job up. He lifts his eyes higher than the suffering. Job will later say, we'll explore this next week, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My horizon was filled with pain. You know what it's like. But God has brought to Job a dawn for him to see. We know that God lifts him out of his suffering. In the final chapter, all is restored. Except his integrity, which he never lost. We'll look at this next week and the week after. We also know it by the way God treats him. Not with kid gloves, but with a parent's heart. Come on. Get up, brace yourself like a man, which means stand up, Job. I believe in you. Get dressed, ready for me, for what I say. But it's this in the end. The questions don't reveal God to be big. Well, they do, but not just big. The questions reveal God to be caring, involved, and interested. Job, was it you who cared for creation in such ways? God's answer brings levitas via gravitas, lightness through his strength. Because the same God who came to Job, the same God who closed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire, that same God came in a manger at Christmas time. See, Jesus and Yahweh here, the Lord, make the same challenge to consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. But Job leaves Jesus to give us the full answer, will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? See, what were they singing there in Abaphan, at least in the series? Jesus, lover of my soul. See, I don't think the book works if Job were given an explanation if we get an explanation, the book fails. Because he doesn't love God for the hedge, the things, that's proven, because he stays standing. But he doesn't love God for the answers either. He doesn't love God for the explanations. If God gave you the reason for your suffering, then is it really God you're trusting? Or would you just be agreeing with his reason? You'd be saying, sure, I trust that you have a plan but I have to agree to it first. Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Job had to learn that. But he stayed in that space until he learned it. Psalm 31, verse 21. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. And so we pray with Job, show me the poetry. Show me the power. Show me with words. Show me the gospel. Show me Jesus Christ, who is my life. Therefore, we cast all our anxieties on God because he cares for us. Let's pray.